This episode of Naval Gazing is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a plan gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now, give later, and impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. For hundreds of years we brought you the news. For the info we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Changing market now threatens our lives. Post literation, critical reading, dumbed down nation signs have been breeding. TV sucking ideas from our head. Public discourse just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Our readers are in the open each day. Hey, it's Eugene Driscoll of ValleyIndy.org. Welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indies podcast. Today is Wednesday, July 25th. My guest is Dino Varelli, Beacon Falls resident who is the founder and CEO of Project Purple. That's a nonprofit group that raises money uh, for pancreatic cancer research, and it also raises money to help people, to provide financial aid to people who have been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Dino's dad passed away from the disease. He talks about all they do uh, to raise money. They've become basically a million-dollar charity born in Beacon Falls and now located in Seymour and uh, how he travels around the country uh, to raise money for a cause that's very close to his heart. Uh, Also, they have, now that they've moved to Seymour, back in April, they moved to 115 Main Street in Seymour. They have some community events coming up. Uh, in October, October 27th, they're having a food truck fundraiser. Uh, they'll have something like six or seven uh, different food trucks, and that's a great food truck fundraiser October 27th. But prior to that, starting actually on Friday, July 27th, they're going to have food truck Fridays in downtown Seymour. This Friday, they're going to have an egg truck uh, Kato's, Kato's Egg Truck, I apologize if I'm butchering that, will be at 115 Main Street uh, parking lot, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday, July 27th, with additional additional food trucks August 24th and September 28th. In addition, eh, Project Purple is having a shred event. So uh, Ethan Fry is going to unload all his uh, scandalous notebooks on goings-on in Seymour and Shelton uh, this Saturday. That's from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., 115 Main Street, Project Purple. Uh, Minimum donation they're asking for is $10 per box, according to information uh, I received. $10 donation per box, and also Bill's Grill, a food truck from Fairfield, will be selling sandwiches at the event. Okay, follow us on Twitter at Valley Indy. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and visit valleyindy.org. As always, for more info, Without further ado, here is Dino Varelli. 
Hello, Dino. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks uh, for having me on. Uh, appreciate all you guys. Uh, appreciate what you guys do uh, for allowing us to tell our story and uh, to a wider, broader audience. So appreciate it, Jim. Yeah, no problem. So you're the founder and CEO of Project Purple, and that's a nonprofit organization that raises money for pancreatic cancer research and provides financial aid to some people with pancreatic cancer. Is that is that correct? Is that a summary of, of the nonprofit? You hit the nail right on top of the head, as they say. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, what we do. And we provide, we've become the country's leading provider of patient aid in the pancreatic cancer space. And we are trying to fund as much research as possible towards a cure or early detection test of the disease. And one of the things, I mean, we're a local yokel news site, you know, we're hyper local, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, you've built a nonprofit, uh, and we just stated your mission there, just since 2011, uh, that's become, it, it has a national profile at, at this point. Where are you right now? Uh, where am I physically right now, or where are we as an organization? <laughs> I mean, no, no, physically, because you're, you're, I mean, uh, here, spoiler alert, I heard you're in Chicago for uh, a marathon or a 5K, or what do you, where are you, where are you calling from? Uh, well, I am in Chicago currently doing some work, um, and part of, uh, I guess, the role of founder and CEO, one of the things that I do quite often um, as this has grown, and as you said, I mean, we have become one of the leading organizations in the country and in the world, which is pretty wild. I, I don't get excited about many things, and not that I'm excited about that because we're not saving anyone's life yet, but it's been a lot of hard work, and hard work does pay off. And so I'm in Chicago um, for a bunch of engagement uh, with our Chicago Marathon. Uh, we also this year launched a 5K run-walk series strategically throughout the country and Chicago is one of the destinations and we have an event here um, in August that we have a uh, 5k in the Chicago land area as they call it so just right outside of Chicago city proper it's in uh, uh, next city over which is called Park Ridge so I'm in, in town doing a bunch of engagement for that and then uh, this year uh, part of our research for research portfolio we invested in the University of Chicago Medical Center which is one of the top centers here in the Midwest for the disease. And so um, I also have some follow-up meetings with the team here and see how things are progressing and making sure that, uh, you know, our goals are met with the investment that we've, met, that we've made um, and also see what else we can be doing to help the researchers and the doctors and the scientists uh, to, you know, further you know, clinical trials and, and further the research on pancreatic cancer. And let's so talk about multi, your... I, I'm sorry. It's multifaceted why. No, it's multifaceted why I'm here. There's a, there's a variety of reasons uh, why I came to Chicago this time. And the fundraising for the organization primarily comes through these marathons, half marathons, and 5Ks. It's sort of a, a, a different way to raise money uh, for this nonprofit that was born here in the Naugatuck Valley and has grown to national prominence. How, does, how did you come up with this idea to use uh, running events to raise money? And how, is that, how do you do that, essentially? Well, you got to run. No, uh, I do not do that, Dino. I, I'm no, like 300 no. pounds. 
No, no. And I mean, well, it's, it's evolved, Eugene. And, you know, the one thing is that, um, you know, the story goes, at least for us and for me, you know, when my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I was never a runner. I actually hated running. Um, I was a collegiate athlete. I played college basketball in college and was what I thought in shape and active. But then when my dad got sick, you know, I just dealt with that reality and I had my own financial services business at the time. I had two young kids, so I had a lot of stuff going on and I just started to run. A friend had, you know, said, Hey, let's just go for a one mile run. And I just felt so empowered from that one mile that first time. And I felt so good about it. And, you know, things started to click. I started to run more and being an entrepreneur, I also started to look at the pancreatic cancer space. My mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor and we had done some stuff with Susan G. Komen. And, you know, I think we did a walk back in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, I just looked at the space and no one was really using running the way I envisioned it. You know, our running portfolio or our endurance portfolios very diverse now. Um, you know, we started out running marathons and half marathons. But let me, let know, me just interrupt is, you, though, Tino, because I'm an ignoramus. How does yeah. running and doing these marathons translate into money for the nonprofit? That's what I don't understand. So we are an official marathon charity partner with 20 different road races throughout the country. And some of these races are the biggest in the country, i.e. New York City Marathon, which is the biggest marathon in the country. The Chicago Marathon is the second biggest. Actually, the New York City Marathon is the biggest marathon in the world. Hmm. Um, and Chicago is the third biggest in the world, and it's number two in the country. So there's a process. And all these marathons, most of the marathons, half marathons throughout the country, have some sort of charity component. And so us as the charity, we apply. We have a process. Runners, typically with some of these races like New York, is a lottery system. So the only way, there's a couple ways to run the New York Marathon. You either are fast enough, which is a very small population, that you qualify with a qualifying time. You get in via the lottery, which is a, which is a difficult process in itself. Or you run via charity. And the New York Marathon has 317 charities. Uh, a lot of them are based uh, locally in the New York tri-state area. And some of them are national. But uh, what we do with the New York Marathon, and I'll use them as an example, we provide access to the race. And in turn, um, our participants have to fundraise a certain amount of money. Okay. But we provide fundraising assistance. We have a fundraising coach in-house that works with every runner to ensure that they meet their goals, whatever their goal may be. Um, we do have a minimum, and that's set by the race, that we have to ensure that our runners raise. And so basically, we are providing entry into the race. In turn, the participants are fundraising for us. So they become active kind of participants in our fundraising program. And, it, you know, it's similar, Eugene, to, you know, it is non-traditional in the sense when you think of fundraising for charity, you know, you go to a gala mm -hmm. and you buy a $100 ticket and then you go there and maybe you buy another $100 in raffle tickets, you know, and that's how you know, I think charity has been done in the past, you know, and, and the endurance space using marathons and other things, you know, has just kind of been an evolution. And, you know, it's happened really over the last 10 years, um, maybe 15 years. I mean, I know team and training was really the first charity to really do this um, and do it well. And they started 30 years ago. So it's not something that's brand new. 
Um, but I think there's been a tremendous amount of growth in the last 10 years in, in these programs and in these races. And it's certainly clicked with Project Purple, because uh, from what I see, yeah. we're talking about a million-dollar operation here before your expenses, uh, and only since you've launched in 2011, which is pretty incredible. Uh, not that I'm any kind of numbers guy, but that's amazing. Yeah, we just surpassed $4 million since inception just this year, and you know we're on pace this year for another million dollar year, um, which is consecutive with the last two years. And, you know, so we really have embraced the endurance. And I, I like to use the word endurance than running, Eugene, because now we're involved in CrossFit and we've been doing that for the last four years. Um, or, you know, this is our fourth year. And then this year in the fall, we'll be launching an indoor cycling series um, strategically in a couple of markets across the country that we have uh, a very good following and we want it to be successful. So we're, we're trying that. And then this year we also launched our own 5k series. Um, so we have, um, already done two. We had one in Norwalk in the spring. We had one in Nebraska in the, in June, and then we'll have one here in Chicago in August. So we are getting into putting on our own events, um, and those are more participant-driven. Uh, not necessarily, you know, there is a lot of fundraising that goes involved, but, it, you know, it's more participant. And we also have been really successful working with some of our corporate sponsors in those strategic areas um, since we have such a large following in those areas. And then you've used uh, this money from fundraising for research grants, uh, $200,000 to the University of Nebraska Foundation, $150,000 to the University of Texas, just to name a few. Uh, and MD that's Anderson, got, yeah. go ahead, what'd you say? Uh, that's MD Anderson, yep. Oh, gotcha, okay. And then uh, is there any type of project that you funded or a research project that's happening that particularly stands out, that one that really sort of piqued your interest as, wow, that's fascinating what they're doing there? Uh, I think they all are, quite honestly. And I mean, our research philosophy has been to work with some of the best centers in the country. Um, in this disease, it's a little bit different. And for those listening at home, and if you have been diagnosed recently or have a family member, what I would recommend is you go to a major center, um, going to a small regional hospital that doesn't specialize in this disease is not going to do you any good. Um, there are probably 10 to 15 centers nationwide that are really equipped from top to bottom. And what I mean by that is they have the research component. They have the medical oncologists who actually administer the chemotherapy. And then they have the surgical uh, part. So, like, if you are surgical, which only one in five of this disease are eligible for surgery, you know, you have a, a surgeon that this is all he does. He doesn't dabble in, you know, other cancers or he isn't just a general surgeon. And that's really critical, Eugene, because what we have seen, and this is not Project Purple, but we, what we have seen in this space, and, you know, we've become a, a leader here in the country. Um, so, you know, we work with some of the leading scientists and doctors, and the data is out there that if patients go to these major centers, they benefit tremendously because they get expertise in managing the disease. They potentially get into clinical trials. They get potentially surgeries that would be done at a major center that wouldn't be done at a regional center with a generalist. So, and, and that's really critical to the disease because, you know, we're talking about providing months, not years of extra life. And for someone who has this terminal cancer, that is a huge difference. You know, two extra months of someone's life, um, you know, could, could mean a lot to them from a family perspective. But also, there's so much that's happening that potentially if you're, the longer you stay in this fight, 
potentially there's going to be something groundbreaking that may benefit you as a patient and may be a game changer and may provide another year or two years or three years, or you know what? It may be the thing that makes a difference in battling this disease so that you can manage the disease for the rest of your life. It may not cure you. And I think, you know, we're not naive to the sense that we are trying to find a cure. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But the reality is, is that the longer that we can have people live with the disease and manage life and have good quality of life, that's really what we're trying to do, um, you know, right now, because I think the cure is just so far, you know, away. And, I, and you know, I think it's kind of naive to say, like, hey, we're going to cure cancer. We want to manage this cancer. We, wanna, we want an early detection piece that other cancers have so that we get the cancer so early that we can, you know, give people, you know, 10 years extra life or 20 years extra life because we found it so early and we can manage that disease. Hi, this is Eugene Driscoll, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor, valleygivesback.org. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes mattered to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. And then in terms of Project Purple, I mean, research, obviously important, one of the pillars of the nonprofit, but then you also provide, or the the Project Purple provides uh, direct a financial aid to people who have pancreatic cancer. What is the type of support that Project Purple gives out, and how do you decide uh, who to help? That's a that's a great question. So, and I'll, I'll just piggyback. Last year, um, we granted over one hundred and four thousand in dollars. So we paid out grants to one hundred and sixteen families nationwide, and it, it equaled one hundred and four thousand. So uh, the process is if you are fighting pancreatic cancer um, and you are currently in treatment and you can apply for uh, assistance grant via our patient financial aid program, uh, we have four criteria that we provide uh, aid for, and that breaks down from utilities to housing, which could be mortgage or rent, and uh, medical, which could be copay insurance or it could be involved in treatment, and then there's a miscellaneous. And so we have an application that is online and we can fax and mail, but you can even, patients can fill this out online on our website. And we do require some uh, information from the doctor, from the family, providing tax information, insurance information, copies of bills. And, And the great thing about this, Eugene, is if someone meets the criteria, and I would tell you 90 Eight percent of the people that apply meet the criteria. Um, they receive some sort of aid. Um, now, the hard reality is we can't eliminate debt, and mm. the other hard reality is just because you have cancer doesn't mean that your bills stop. Right? There's no, you know, companies just don't stop sending you know bills because you have cancer, and in particular terminal cancer. 
So we do work with other like-minded groups, a uh, couple that are in our space and then a couple that are just national groups providing uh, aid to all cancer patients. So our goal is we provide some assistance. Again, we're not able to pay everyone's bills off, but hopefully for that month, the patient doesn't have to worry about maybe their medical copay or their rent or their mortgage payment. And then the hope is that they can reach out to one of the other groups that we provide and get more assistance from them. And so that, you know, they get another month or two months of aid where, again, they can focus on their care and not necessarily worry about, you know, having to go to work or having to, you know, find uh, money, whether it's savings or investments to, you know, pay for their treatment. And so that's the ultimate goal. I think when we started the foundation. I mean, that was a pillar from the very beginning. And I think in the beginning, you know, there were less people requesting, you know, aid. So it was a lot easier that the payouts were a lot higher because the demand wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now we have, I think, 60 patients in our queue. um, And our turnaround process is about two weeks. So we do vet everyone out. And that's something that we have to do. We don't pay patients direct. We pay lenders and debtors. And sometimes, you know, people don't get us all the proper information. So like the app, the, their case will basically sit in the pending queue because we have to wait for them to provide the appropriate information so that we can vet them out. And then internally, we have a, we have a vetting out process. Um, we've created an algorithm that works really well. And the ultimate goal is to help the people that are the sickest, that have the the biggest need. And, you know, that is determined by an internal formula that we have, an internal algorithm that we look at to determine, you know, how do we look at someone who's stage one to stage four and, you know, someone who has uh, an income or had an income of, you know, 200,000 versus someone who has an income of uh, 30,000 or 10,000. It's really sad, I will say, you know, with the, uh, you know, cancer doesn't discriminate, right? And, but um, we are helping as many people as humanly possible that we can that are battling disease. But, you know, it's, uh, it's really sad, you know, that, uh, you know, there are people that really need the assistance, you know, for our listeners at home, you're sitting in your car, you're listening to this at your home, listening on your computer. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that don't have a lot of the basic necessities, of just life that are, are battling cancer. Yeah, the stress must be incredible there. What about the organizational structure of Project Purple? You're, you're saying we. Uh, how many employees do you have? Uh, I know you have a board of directors. Uh, how many people are involved? Because it sounds like a lot of work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have eight board of directors, um, and those are made up of eight amazing individuals that volunteer all their time uh, to Project Purple to help guide the ship. And then we have internally, we have uh, three full-time people, including myself. Um, I gave up my financial services business about two years ago. The board had asked me up until two years ago, I was running two businesses um, and having a young family. Um, So uh, I no longer do my insurance business and I'm full-time Project Purple. So myself, I have two staffers that are full-time. We have a part-time staffer. Um, And then we have been really fortunate and blessed, Eugene, that we have a great intern program and a great volunteer program. 
So typically on any day, and because it's the summertime, we have two interns working full-time uh, over the summer that come to us from Quinnipiac University, which has been a great resource. I mean, we've pulled interns from Sacred Heart and Fairfield U as well, but uh, Quinnipiac seems to have had uh, – they've – We've really gotten some really good kids out of Quinnipiac University that have mm. been our in our intern program, and that's been kind of uh, stable for us for the last four years. And and we've done really well with uh, kind of some niche interns. Uh, we had an intern do some data stuff that was a mathematics major and looking at like our participant data, our patient data, um, and then we've used utilized uh, the services of interns from Quinnipiac for our graphic design program to help with the marketing collateral. And then um, we are currently looking, um, and we have a job out on Indeed. Um, we are looking to hire another part-time person for our third-party events. So eventually, when the dust settles, we'll probably have five staff internally, three full-time, two part-time, and then you know, on any given week, um, I know we have a steady flow of volunteers, and that ranges from. You know, people, we have one volunteer. The lady's been awesome. Um, she comes in once a week for the last two years to help out administratively. We've got a couple of high school kids that will be attending Woodland um, High School um, in Beacon Falls that have been with us for almost the whole uh, semester from, like, the, the spring and now into the summer and then into uh, the fall they'll be helping out. And then we've got a couple of volunteers that are helping out um, just, like, randomly, like, once a month or twice a month. So it's, it's really been great. I mean, the community, and those people are all local, has been really great. Um, and we just recently moved from Beacon Falls to Seymour to, uh, to a new office. So yeah, you're it's, it's on, been, what are you on, 115 Main Street, right? The uh, former bank, is that where you are? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, amazing story. We had a little bit of a, an issue with our former landlord um, in Beacon Falls, and things didn't work out, and our lease was up. And, you know, we are, just because you're a nonprofit, um, you know, you, you still operate as a business. We still pay for rent and utilities. Um, I hear you. I think people, you know, you know, <laughs> and so, um, so we had a, a bad landlord situation. Uh, we didn't have heat, quite honestly, Eugene, for six weeks. <laughs> and, um, the, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had to make a, a very hard decision to leave, uh, when our lease was up and, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And one of our, um, you know, a guy that has been a big, big, you know, uh, contributor to what we've been doing here in the Valley. Uh, James Zeppos gets all the credit in the world who owns Zoe's Pizza in Seymour. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's been a big supporter. We, we've done the pizza eating contest and that's coming back next year, by the way, for our listeners at home. We took a year off and the reason was is he and a couple of business partners purchased the 115 Main Street uh, building, the old Bank of America in Seymour. And, you know, Jimmy, um, as I call him, you know, he's been a great piece of that Seymour community. I mean, he, he's been great to us, but I know he does a lot with the volunteer fire yeah. department there. He supports so many organizations and, you know, he's done an amazing, his family has owned that business, I think almost 50 years. And that building is beautiful. And they've, you know, they've invested their own money back into the community by what they've done with that building. And, and again, supporting all these nonprofits in the area. And, excuse me. The building came up for sale. It's been for sale for a while. And, and he rallied some friends and they purchased that building. And I, I really, you know, it's, it's amazing 
they're doing so much work with that building, you know, internally, um, it's going to be kind of a, a nexus for small businesses and, you know, professionals kind of like, a, I, I kind of, you know, traveling so much and I was just at a WeWork, it's similar to like a WeWork where, you know, they're going to have these offices where you can rent and, um, you know, these separate office units and it's a, it's a great building. They're going to put a lot of money into the outside to beautify. And I mean, it's already a, a really great building, but, uh, you know, he, he approached us back in March, beginning of March and mentioned, Hey, like, uh, I'm potentially going to be purchasing this building. Would you consider moving? And I was like, you know, it's like, perfect. I don't know that the, yeah. this perfect, perfect, perfect situation. Um, because I didn't know quite honestly where we were going to go. We were looking at a lot of space across the area. We were looking in Hartford, we were looking in New Haven, we were looking in the Valley area, you know, and I, I live in Beacon Falls and I prefer a, a, a short commute because I work so much. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of like, it was the it was the perfect situation. It couldn't have happened, you know. And everything happens for a reason, as they say. And it really worked out really well. And, we're and so you're to be you're in, in there now, right? You're in, you're you've yeah. You've done, you're in there, okay. And you got things yeah. coming up in Seymour. We should mention because uh, actually yes. it's very timely because you're having food truck Fridays. Uh, and it's Correct. Gonna be, so, at, yeah, tell me about that. There's one coming up July 27th. I'm going to try to get. We're recording this on what the 25th. Uh, and I'm going to try to get up as soon as possible. But uh, July 27th, yeah. your first food truck Friday uh, in downtown Seymour. I love downtown Seymour, by the way. It's uh, th- what a cool place to have an office. I think. I think you know when I moved there, you know we moved in April 1st, and it was like you know the midnight shuffle. Like we we got a U-Haul truck and we moved everything ourselves and moved everything in there. And I mean, I, I lived in Seymour for a short time with my wife when we moved up to the area for like three years, and downtown wasn't what it was today and this mm-hmm. was going back maybe 20 years ago and like the first month i was so occupied with like travel so it took me a little while to kind of get out into the community and what a really for our listeners at home if they haven't come to downtown seymour what a really unique and really cool location and mm. destination because there's some really cool businesses and there's some, you know, hats off to whoever who, uh, you know, had the idea to make that kind of like, you know, the, it's an antique Mecca, but there's some really cool stores. Um, there's the great cupcakes. You got tickled pink, you got tea with Tracy. Um, you've got some other eating venues in the area. And so, and it really is kind of nostalgic to this, like, small downtown main street feeling. And so last year we had this idea and I just love food, Eugene. I just love it. And that's probably why I have to run so much (laughs) to to keep, to keep off the food off my belly. But, uh, we had this idea and, you know, food trucks is not something new. I think they've been around for quite some time, but you know, in Connecticut, it's kind of been kind of this new thing over the last couple of years. And I was like, you know what? let's do this food truck idea. So we did it in Beacon Falls. We had six trucks from out of the area. And I mean, we had some amazing trucks. We had milk crafts. We had, um, pork and friends from the Hartford area. I think they're from Middletown. We had donut crazy. Um, you know, we had all these, uh, kind of, uh, we had the, the fireman's truck, uh, which we even had the waffle bus come. And so we had all these unique food trucks, um, it was a little bit later in the year. It was in like uh, it was actually Veterans Day, November 11th. So the weather was actually kind of cold. So I think kind of the ice cream truck didn't do as well. But it was just a great event. We we combined it with some raffles that we did, um, and then we also had a cornhole tournament. So when we we had a great success with it, and 
I said, you know what? We're going to do it again. And then we moved. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, this actually plays out really a lot better location for us. Um, we've got access. We've got parking lots now with the building. Um, we've got the downtown scene. So we said, hey, why not? Let's do it again. So we're doing the big food truck event. We've got six trucks coming in October 27th. Um, we're going to have cornhole. We might even have some live entertainment. I just uh, got a, an email from a recording artist that wants to come. She's in between gigs, between like, I think she's going to be in Boston beginning of the week and then, or beginning of that weekend and then New York later. So she wants to kind of take a stop and likes the charity aspect of it. Nice. Um, so that's to be determined whether we have live entertainment or not. But um, the other thing that we wanted to do, we were like, Hey, let's like lead into this. Like, mm. let's like really like get people excited about food trucks. And so I said, you know what, let's pick up a, a random Friday for the first, you know, for starting in August, we'll have one August, September, um, in October or July, cause we're in July. I'm sorry. So July, August, September, we're going to do a different food truck on a particular Friday. And you know what, this will be a great lead in into, you know, the big event in October and the three food trucks that are coming are not even going to be in October. So it's totally given the community like a different sense and a different feel for, you know, food trucks and not necessarily like replicated food trucks that are going to be there in October. So I'm excited about it. Um, we also, this Saturday, if this airs, we have a shredded event that we're doing. Um, and so we're, we have the, the parking lot there on 115 main, um, in front, we're going to have a shred truck and we're asking, you know, for a minimal donation of $5 a box or, you know, whatever. $10. It says $10 in your press stuff. Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) So it's $10 a box. Thank you for, uh, correcting me. And, uh, we have a food truck that morning as well doing breakfast sandwiches. So we'll have the food truck this Friday. Um, which is, I believe, uh, the Caduce or Cardo's egg truck. Egg truck, uh, yeah. And that's uh, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Friday, July 27th is the first food truck. And then you're having uh, other trucks August 24th, September 28th, leading up to yep. that great truck fun, great food truck fundraiser uh, in October, October 27th. And the yeah. shredded event is Saturday, uh, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. this Saturday. Correct. Uh, so, Correct. yeah, that's really cool. Wow. You're doing a lot there, Dino. Yeah. Well, let me ask you because we're, we're trying. I, I, you know, I uh, we're talking uh, sort of general and about a nonprofit entity. Uh, but tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school? Uh, how did you wind up in the Naugatuck Valley? So that's a that's a great question. So I grew up in Bridgeport, born and raised, and um, went to Notre Dame of Fairfield um, because when I was growing up in Bridgeport in the early '90s, late '80s. Um, you know, public school was just, uh, you know, wasn't as safe and, you know, the public schools aren't, were not as good as they are today. Um, and my parents being immigrants, uh, one of the things that was really important to them was, uh, their faith. And so I grew up in the Roman Catholic faith and went to Roman Catholic parochial school. And then I think the easier transition, you know, to high school was a Catholic high school, which was Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Went to college in Rhode Island, small liberal arts school, Roger Williams. Uh, lived in Boston for about a year. Moved back to the area back in like 97, 98. And then worked actually in Shelton for quite some time for a company that maybe listeners might remember called American Scandia and had a great career there. And then uh, eventually left and went to another company down in uh, lower Fairfield County, which was in the financial services world. 
And then my wife ended up actually getting a job as a teacher in the town of Seymour back in 2001. And so we moved to Seymour in 2001, lived in Seymour for a couple of years, as I mentioned before. And then uh, we had the opportunity to, uh, to kind of uh, get a bigger house because we had children at the time uh, where we were having children and starting a family. And we moved to Beacon Falls and we've been there ever since. And is your wife still a teacher in the Seymour School District? She still is, going on uh, 17 years. Oh, no kidding. Years. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what does she teach yeah. then? What, what school is she at? So she teaches at the new CLS. I say new. I mean, it's been a couple years that they mm-hmm. combine uh, Low Presti and Chatfield, and she currently is in the fifth grade. And then your father was Giovanni. What's your mother's name? Uh, Paula. Paula. And my mom lives. My mom still lives in the Shelton area. I mean, um, so I was born and raised in Bridgeport. And then, what type of work was uh, your? Was, what did your dad do for a living? He, he, he. They're both were immigrants. Where, where they come from, and what type of uh, what they do to support the family growing up? Yeah, so uh, my parents immigrated to the country in 1968 from Italy, and um, they moved. They came right from Italy to the Bronx. Uh, they were in the Bronx for a couple years, and then in '71 they moved to Bridgeport. And my dad was a laborer. My mom was a seamstress. Uh, she worked in the factories back in the 70s. You know, Bridgeport was a mecca of the garment industry, believe it or not. If, if for those listeners at home that maybe remember or that are younger that don't remember, you know, Bridgeport was really like a mecca for, you know, uh, all these factories where there were women, a lot of them immigrants, um, of various nationalities, Italian, Portuguese, Greeks, mostly that, that European area. Um, uh, like Eastern European or, or yeah. And they, um, you know, my mom was working in a factory. I remember as a little child, like going to the factory to just hang out with my mom or, you know, go say hi to friends or cousins. Like my aunt worked there as well and multiple cousins and they were just seamstress. They were making like, you know, a lot of the garments that were worn back in the day. And then my dad was a laborer. He worked for, uh, local 666, which is the laborers union uh, out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. So for 35 years, he was a, a laborer, did a lot of masonry work, did a lot of carpentry, worked for various companies. Um, the, the last company that he worked with is actually a Valley-based company, Francini Construction, which I think they're out of Derby or they were out of Derby. And, you know, it was just... Uh, he was my role model, my hero, Eugene. I was going to say, like, what did you learn from him? And he must have been, it's yeah. got to be something for a guy comes from Italy, makes a new life in America, starts raising a family, is a laborer, and his son goes into this white-collar job, which is, uh, uh, was was he supportive? He must have, like, like what did you learn from him? What, what are some, like, lessons your dad uh, taught you Hard growing work, up? man. Hard work, you know, there's not, there's no shortcuts for hard work, man. And, you know, seeing my dad work seven days a week, um, you know, b- before he died, um, when I was younger, I would say, oh, you know, like he's always working because we need the money. And that was never the case. But I learned, you know, shortly after when he got diagnosed that it wasn't about the money. It was about being there for friends to help them. Because a lot of the weekends he was spent doing side jobs <laughs> on his own. And But you know what it was, though, Eugene? It was like he was helping guys put yeah. in decks do stone walls and teaching. I, I can't tell you how many guys at his wake that I remember meeting like a lot of, um, 
there were a lot of firemen that he became really good friends with, Bridgeport firemen that used to do carpentry and masonry on the side as kind of their side hustle. And that's not uncommon, you know, that these guys would be in the trades. And I remember like there was one guy in particular and um, I remember like the last time I saw him was when I was little and he helped my dad um, do our front stairs. And they were big. There were like 10, 10 stairs to get to our house. And uh, my dad taught him how to do that. And then the guy went on to do stuff on his own and have like his side hustle was carpentry. And, um, you know, it just hit me when the guy came to the wake, it was, I hadn't seen him in like 20 years. And he said like, Hey man, your dad taught me so much. And that's when it hit me and like, man, like, you know, dad wasn't about the money. It was about him helping other people and, and passing that trade on and passing those things on. So you know, that's what I learned from my dad. It took me a couple of years to realize that clearly, you know, not, you know, while he was alive, you know, I realized that as well, but it just kind of hit me right in the head when, um, when that guy came to the wake again, that that's what it was about, like helping other people, you know, and working really hard. And, and you when know, did you the, when did the we, idea gel to start project purple essentially inspired, motivated and in honor of your father? When did that, um, it was probably in 2010 when my dad was re-diagnosed um, and that we were incorporated in September, 2010. But okay. so my dad was originally diagnosed in December of 08. He was a surgical candidate and then he um, was given like six months clear, you know, no evidence of disease. And then he was re-diagnosed in March of 2010. And that's when kind of things kind of went, you know, fast forward, you know, and then we were incorporated in September of 2010, but we were working, I was working on this, like probably like in May of 2010, like I was like, all right, we got to do something. Like I want to do something. And I think, you know, being an entrepreneur certainly helped having a vision. And I think I'm more of a dreamer um, versus a realist. I mean, I think I am a a realistic dreamer now. Um, But at the time I was like, Hey, we're going to do this. And, you know, a lot of people said you're crazy. And, you know, it's kind of uh, funny, Eugene. Now when I consult, I get a lot of calls and I'm not opposed to consulting with people that have had various life challenging issues and they want to do the same thing or replicate what we've done. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, and I tell them, no, don't do it. Cause it's a lot of work. There's a lot of <laughs> sacrifice, but I'm being a realist, you know, and that's what I would tell anyone. And, you know, it's like, you know, if you're going to do this, just, you know, be realistic about, you know, the impact that you want to create because it's a lot of work and there's a lot of sacrifices that I've had to make, you know, from a family perspective, um, from a personal perspective, um, you know, from an income perspective as well, you know, I mean, just because, you know, I was making. A yeah, lot I assume more you took money. a. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume you you took a pay cut from closing your own business to become the CEO of a yeah. nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah, but money, you know, money is not everything. But you also, there's a reality of it too, though. Eugene is we run this as a business, so right. what's to say that we shouldn't pay our employees? Like our employees have health insurance. We have a retirement plan. Like just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean that you have to skimp on those things. Now, we have a bigger emphasis on our return on our investment that that maybe Bank of America has because they're a bank and they're for-profit or Apple. Like Apple can write off, hey, the, the latest iPhone stinks and we didn't sell a billion units and they can write off that loss and, you know, they report to their shareholders. You know, for us, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more of a challenge. Like we don't get a lot of do-overs, hmm. you know. Um, and we have to really ensure that our investments, whether that's employees or whether that's, you know, these races that we get involved in, you know, that we, you know, make sure we get the proper re- return on those investments because it's critical to the success of our organization. All right. Well, Dino, I want to thank you 
for uh, coming on this podcast with really no notice. We, we, I was exchanging emails with Sam from your organization, <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I'm a, let, let, can you talk tomorrow? And then even though you're in Chicago yeah. on the other side, or halfway across the country, uh, you still made the time. And if our listeners want to learn more about Project Purple, a uh, nonprofit born in the Naugatuck Valley and currently based on Main Street in Seymour, go to projectpurple.org. You can also find Project Purple on Facebook or Instagram, and you can uh, access those resources and learn how you can join the fight against pancreatic cancer. So, Dino, again, thank you so much for your time. Eugene, thank you for giving us and giving me the opportunity to share what we do, because without it, uh, we wouldn't have the impact that we have. So thank you. Thank you so much.
subscribers still are the fans we're here every day so give us a chance and we'll make an art stand just hold us in your hand yeah and we'll ride the dinosaur yeah ride the dinosaur